This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. You're tuned in to WGNS on this Tuesday morning. It is 8.17 right now, and this morning we're going to be headed to St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital, and we're talking with Dr. Frank Lauven, and can you hear me okay this morning? Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. How are you? I am good, and you focus on pulmonary issues, so kind of give us a background first on what got you into this and, uh, you know, your area of expertise? Well, pulmonary medicine is the study and, and practice of medicine related to people with uh, lung disorders or lung diseases. Um, a little bit of my background relates to the fact that I had asthma as a child, and so that fascinated me. And, and as I got older and got into school and into medical training, I became more interested in that area of study and um, beginning with some of my rotations in medical school and residency, I spent a lot of time in the critical care unit and that is actually what drew me into it, uh, seeing patients who were struggling to breathe and requiring help from a mechanical ventilator or respirator and uh, that's, that's how it all got started. Again, with us this morning, Dr. Frank Lauven and with St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. And I'm curious, here in the South, are there some different lung diseases that you may not see, for example, on the East Coast or the West Coast? There are some regional differences from uh, area to area within the country. Uh, Tobacco-related lung diseases are widespread throughout not just the U.S., but the entire world. But... In Tennessee, uh, tobacco is still big, as it is in a good part of the South, and so we tend to see uh, more tobacco-related lung conditions, COPD and lung cancer, um, and occurring at earlier ages than we would at other parts of the country, for example, compared to the Northeast and the West Coast. Uh, so that's a, that's a big difference. Um, there are some other lung infections, uh, for example, histoplasmosis is more common in the, the, the Mississippi and Ohio River valleys, uh, and that's a, that's a lung infection that we see uh, much more commonly in this part of the country than you would, for example, out in the uh, southwest or the east coast. And that's interesting. The histoplasmosis, which if memory serves me correctly, it's caused by bat droppings in places like caves or old abandoned warehouses where people go to explore, not knowing that there's dangers in those places that could actually hurt your lungs. That's very true. That is one area uh, where you could acquire the infection, but actually uh, it's in not just in bat droppings, but in bird droppings like uh, pigeons and blackbirds. Um, it's in the soil. Uh, anyone who uh, works in the soil, uh, people in particular that are involved in excavating and construction uh, that are exposed to soil that has been stirred up are at a higher risk of acquiring this. 
Uh, so it doesn't just have to be in a cave. So it's it's uh, um, present in a lot of different areas. So it sounds like that's something that farmers could also battle as well if they're out working the land a lot and if they have bird droppings of sorts out there that they're stirring up and, and breathing in. That's very true. The good news about histoplasmosis uh, is that it, in most otherwise healthy people, it runs a very benign course. Uh, in fact, if you look at x-rays or CT scans of people uh, just in a random fashion of people that live in this part of the country, you can see evidence of old healed histoplasmosis on a large majority of chest x-rays and CT scans. Uh, a large number of us have had a histoplasmosis infection at some time in our lives and didn't even realize it. It acts like, in most cases, a bad bronchitis. It may hang on for a week or two or three. You may or may not see your doctor for it. You may get antibiotics for it, which aren't really going to help it. And it runs its course, um, and it can leave some very tiny, really insignificant scarring on the lungs that you can see on a CT scan or a chest X-ray. Uh, it's only in a very tiny number of people, and usually they're people with immunocompromising conditions that it can run a more uh, serious or potentially life-threatening course. When you look at all the different lung diseases out there, a lot of them, when treated, I guess, do they have to be treated with much stronger antibiotics or much stronger medications than another disease or another problem that a person may have, or are they the same antibiotics? You mean for histoplasmosis? Not just for histoplasmosis, but just the common problems that people may have, such as uh, bronchitis or pneumonia. Bronchitis and pneumonia are both uh, lung infections that can be caused by any number of different germs, viruses and bacteria in particular. They don't, as a rule, uh, need to be treated with anything that's exceptionally uh, strong or different than other antibiotics, uh, and in fact, in many cases, they don't need to be treated at all. Um, in an otherwise healthy person who doesn't have underlying lung disease, most bronchitis is viral or sometimes allergic. Uh, it runs its course. It causes no complications. It doesn't leave any lasting um, problems or scarring on the lungs. Uh, with people who have underlying lung disease, and in particular smokers who have COPD, it's a little different story. It can be uh, more aggressive, more concerning, cause more complications. And in those patients, we usually will treat them with a combination of antibiotics and steroids to help accelerate recovery and to prevent complications that might lead to them being admitted to the hospital. Again, with us this morning, Dr. Frank Louthen. And, and Doctor, I'm hearing a slight clicking sound on the phone, so I, I don't know if you're in a, a coverage area that has changed or anything, but uh, it's a slight click, so I'm not sure what that is. Um, well, I apologize for that. I, I don't hear that on my end, but uh, it could be that I have a bad cell connection here. Um, I'm going to take you off speaker and see if that makes any difference. Does that sound any better? Yeah, that, that right there is perfect.
Okay, I'll so, leave it uh, off speaker then. So when you're looking at uh, issues such as pneumonia, which I know is fairly common, uh, how long of a treatment process is that, or how long of a waiting period is that to decide what the next step should be for somebody? When you're treating for pneumonia, the typical course of therapy is seven days. Sometimes that could be extended if there are complicating circumstances. When we make a diagnosis of pneumonia in the office or in the hospital, we begin antibiotic treatment immediately. The earlier you can begin, the greater chances of success in eradicating the germs and getting a patient back to normal. And if somebody is in the hospital, of course, we follow them daily by checking vital signs and oxygen level in their blood and things like their white cell count to monitor for signs of improvement. It seems like whenever you hear about somebody who passes away because of pneumonia, they often have underlying issues. It could be cancer. It could be any number of things. But it often seems like it's that pneumonia that really pushes that person's body over the edge to where there is no return. And and that's sad to say, but is that common to hear about where somebody did have some really bad underlying problem going on, but then when they got the pneumonia, it just made it so much more worse? That actually is extremely common, uh, especially in the population of patients that I see. A large number of the patients that I follow in the office have emphysema or COPD and have pretty severe impairment in their lung function uh, and limitations in their day-to-day activities. And if a patient like that gets a bacterial pneumonia, uh, it can be very serious and life-threatening, Some, something that an otherwise healthy person would be able to clear and recover from without much problem. Uh, a patient with COPD or uh, a number of underlying chronic medical conditions might not be able to fight off uh, the, the pneumonia could lead to overwhelming sepsis or septic shock, and, and that could ultimately result in the death of the patient. So what is the septic shock? Because I've heard that before, but I'm, I'm not real familiar as to what exactly it is. Well, sepsis is the body's response to infection that goes out of control. Uh, if you become infected with a, a virus or a bacteria or a fungus, your immune system kicks in to fight off that germ. Uh, It begins to make antibodies and other uh, chemicals, what are called cytokines and various other substances to attack the the invading uh, bacteria or virus, which is normal. The problem comes when the body's immune system goes overboard, so to speak. So it begins to generate more antibodies and more anti-inflammatory compounds that actually begin to attack the body. That's that's really the definition of sepsis, is the body's uh, out-of-control response to infection. So what starts as the germ doing all the damage actually becomes the body's immune system doing the damage. And the the various uh, inflammatory mediators and uh, antibodies begin to attack other organs like the lung, uh, the heart or the cardiovascular system, the kidneys, the liver. Uh, And that results in the body beginning to decompensate, which can result in going into shock. Shock is just a 
a low blood pressure state where the heart is not able to uh, pump the blood around to the vital organs as efficiently as it should. And that is uh, very dangerous, life-threatening, and, and in many cases fatal. Again with us this morning, Dr. Frank Louthen with St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital right here in town. You know, there are so many different categories of lung issues, it seems like. I mean, everything from lung cancer to what you were talking about just a little while ago and pneumonia and COPD. I mean, there's just a whole lot that can go haywire with a person's lungs. Uh, No doubt about that. Uh, There are long list of uh, pulmonary problems that we uh, encounter in patients. The the biggest ones, I'd say, in our practice, uh, at least in our uh, office practice, is COPD, uh, which is made up of primarily of the two conditions, chronic bronchitis and emphysema, which are primarily smoking-related conditions. And then we also see a lot of patients with lung cancer, which is also primarily smoking-related. That group of conditions, uh, if you put asthma along with that, probably make up the great majority of the types of lung conditions that we see. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of the conditions are brought on by smoking. Uh, That's a major problem in the South and in Tennessee in particular, um, smoking-related diseases are responsible for a big fraction of the deaths in this country every year. COPD is, uh, has been for quite some time and still is the fourth leading cause of death in the U.S. and accounts for around 120,000 deaths per year in this country. So it's a major public health problem. and. Smoking cessation is uh, a big part of our practice or encouraging uh, patients to stop smoking. So what are some of the warning signs of somebody who may think they have or some of the starting, I don't know, the starting ailments to COPD? What are some things to look out for for somebody who thinks they may be on that path of having COPD? The two most common symptoms are shortness of breath or a sensation of breathlessness with usual activities. That's that's number one. And a chronic cough is the other, especially in a current active smoker. A chronic cough is a pretty good sign that you have chronic bronchitis, which is one of the components of COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Uh, the shortness of breath is something that tends to be very, very gradual in onset, in fact, so gradual that patients often don't recognize it or don't admit to it until it can be fully advanced. You know, something I read about recently, and this is not COPD related, but, you know, I, I found it quite interesting because it was the first time I ever heard of such, and that is breast implants and having problems with them and then the implants leading to chronic inflammation that leads to eventually the lungs because of, of course, where they're located. Is that something that is becoming more common now? Problems with breast implants relating to bothering the lungs in some way? Uh, Over the years, there's been a lot of speculation about uh, silicone breast implants triggering inflammation in the body that can hurt other organs. I am not aware of of any good evidence showing a direct link to that and damage to the lungs. 
And, you know, I, I would imagine that there is a huge list of things that can potentially damage the lungs. And that's probably just one of the many things that I guess could possibly lead to some type of problem. Uh, and I guess anytime you put something foreign into your body that's not really made to be there, it can lead to other issues. That's absolutely true. Uh, any foreign substance, uh, foreign body that's put in has the potential to cause problems on down the road. Something else we're hearing a lot about these days are teenagers who are beginning to vape the electronic cigarettes. Uh, yes, that is a, a growing problem that we have seen more complications uh, related to that in recent years. Uh, the vaping it itself, even with the substances uh, produced, manufactured specifically for that purpose, can cause problems. Um, one of the reasons is, and there's really not enough research available on this yet, is we, we don't really know the long-term health consequences of inhaling uh, the vaping substances. The manufacturers tout this as just being water vapor, and that is a big component of it. But there are other things in it, too, like colorings and flavorings and preservatives and other additives uh, that we just don't know the effects of long-term if they are inhaled. Um, what makes the matter even worse is that some people vape things uh, that they shouldn't be vaping. They'll get some... Uh, type of an oil, uh, an herbal supplement or CBD oil, and they will attempt to vape that that's not even intended to be vaped in the first place. And you can really have some serious lung damage related to that that can be um, permanent and uh, progressive to the point of causing death. When you look at the history of medicine over the years, dating back literally thousands of years in some cases, really the biggest advances have come over the last probably 30 years, if not 20 years. So that being said, medicine, at least the technology involved in medicine, is relatively young. Are we going to see just major changes by leaps and bounds in the years to come with new medicines being out there, and new ways of treating patients? There's no, no doubt about it that medical science has grown by leaps and bounds over the last few decades, and, and I anticipate we will see more to come. Uh, for example, in the biologic therapies and immunotherapy, uh, there have been great strides in that area in the treatment of various types of cancers, and autoimmune or connected tissue diseases within the last 10, 15 years that have, have made really dramatic changes in the outlook for many patients. So I, I would expect that uh, to continue, um, probably less so in the areas of, for example, antimicrobials. We have we, there are always uh, new drugs coming out, but not nearly at the pace as some of the other biologic medications. But yes, to answer your question, I, I think we will see continued uh, growth in that area. Dr. Frank Loudon with us this morning, St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. In the category of transplant surgery, lung transplants are something that, you know, are being done, but you just don't hear a lot about it. It seems like heart transplants always the biggest newsmaker, if you would, when it comes to transplants, that 
and kidney transplants, but you don't hear a lot about lung transplants in the news. So kind of highlight that a little bit. Is that something that is still going on on a regular basis? Yes, absolutely. And, and you're right. You do tend to hear more about the others. Kidney transplants occur at a much uh, higher frequency. Uh, the, the science and the uh, progression in knowledge on uh, transplant medicine um, has um, reached, a, I guess, a greater degree of success, for lack of a better word, in kidney transplants um, in, in um, the average a physician probably has quite a few patients in their practice at some point or another that have, have had a kidney transplant. Um, heart transplants you tend to hear about that make the news a little bit more or less so with lung transplants. Yes, they still are uh, ongoing. Uh, they're done at major transplant centers like Vanderbilt and across the country. Um, the, the lung is somewhat of a unique organ in that it is uh, the only transplanted organ that is open to the environment 24-7. Uh, if you put a heart in or a lung in or a liver in, it's pretty much closed off from the environment, uh, whereas the lung, you're constantly inhaling and, and exhaling whatever air happens to be around you. And that has resulted in um, more difficulty, I would say, in problems with uh, organ rejection and opportunistic infection, meaning a, an unusual type of infection in the graft, the, the grafted lung, uh, related to the intensity of the immunosuppression. Uh, you have to remember that even when an organ is matched closely between donor and recipient, it's still a foreign body. It's still something that uh, the immune system is going to recognize and attack and try to reject. So uh, patients receiving any organ transplant, but including a lung transplant, um, will have to be treated with high doses of immunosuppressive medications to keep the immune system from attacking that organ. That's good, but it also uh, depresses your immune system and makes you uh, more susceptible to many types of infections, including some very unusual types of infections. So it's a fairly complicated situation, but it, yes, it is ongoing. You know, that that is, it's an interesting line of work that you're in because of things like that. The fact that you can actually, you know, a person can have transplanted lungs from, you know, one body to the next, uh, but then you bring up all the complications that could come along with it, which it, it makes it a fascinating study, to say the least. But at the same time, it can save a life, which is amazing that that can be done. It really is amazing in the progress that's been made in, in recent years. Someone uh, in past years who would have uh, little or no hope of survival from a progressive lung condition uh, all of a sudden has the hope of a future of extra years of life from a transplanted organ. So it really is it really is quite amazing. And, and of course, we're not just talking about somebody who had lung cancer who receives a transplant of lungs. I mean, there's a long list of things that could happen to the lungs, I would assume, that could put somebody on that list to receive lungs. 
Yeah, lung cancer is, is generally not an indication for transplant. The biggest categories are uh, patients with advanced chronic obstructive lung disease like emphysema and then various types of pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, those are the biggest categories of uh, candidates for lung transplant in the adult uh, sector. Um, so the, the smoking-related uh, conditions are, are a big part of it, and then the idiopathic or the, the diseases for which we don't have a good explanation uh, that cause pulmonary fibrosis are the biggest categories. Now, the word tuberculosis, that's a word that you don't hear a lot, but is there still an issue with tuberculosis pneumonia? Definitely there is. Uh, it's not nearly as big a problem in the U.S. as it was many years ago uh, or in uh, third world or developing countries. But yes, we do still see TB in this country. Uh, it tends to be in people that are immunosuppressed or in people that are malnourished. Uh, it's more common in people uh, that have uh, alcohol or substance abuse problems. Uh, it's more common, <clears throat> excuse me, in situations where people live in crowded uh, environments with uh, poor sanitation or poor air quality, uh, and more common in people that have immunosuppressing uh, conditions. Uh, you don't hear about it. It's not a, a, a glamorous condition to, to talk about, but it is still out there. Uh, the good news is that it is a treatable condition. It can be difficult to treat and often takes several months of sometimes two, three, or even four antimicrobial uh, agents at a time, but it is a treatable condition. The word malnourishment, it comes in many shapes and sizes and for different reasons as well for different people, depending on how their body takes in food, digests the food and and secretes the food, if you would. Uh, but how does malnourishment play a role in the lungs? The body's immune system depends on being uh, nourished in the way any of the other organs do. And if you have vitamin or mineral deficiencies for whatever reason, the body's immune system is not going to be able to produce the antibodies to uh, attack whatever is invading it, virus, bacteria, fungus, whatever you're talking about. So it leaves you more open to infection. Again, with us this morning, Dr. Frank Loudon, St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have more questions and more information for you. So make sure you stay with us. A check on that forecast right now. Time is 843. We'll see if you scattered showers and thunderstorms at times this afternoon with mostly cloudy skies, high in the mid-80s. Winds out of the southwest around 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 73. We'll see if you scattered showers and thunderstorms at times this afternoon with Hi, this is Dan Mitchell at Music World and Drummer's Den, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We specialize in every instrument that the local musician needs at prices comparable or better than online prices. We do guitar repairs and setups, lessons for every instrument from strings to keyboards to drums. We are your local music store. You need to come see us. Music World and Drummer's Den, 2762 South Church Street, across from Indian Hills Golf Course. 
you can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or KidLinkServices.com. Family Staffing Solutions is proud of our local veterans. I'm Becky Bookner, and as life challenges appear, talk with Family Staffing Solutions about how we can help you stay at home. Call Family Staffing Solutions. Family Staffing Solutions. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. In this salute, we talk to a veteran who served in the Marines. Andrew Farr, Marine Combat Veteran. I was born in Nashville, grew up in uh, New Hampshire, uh, went to boarding school, went to college, and then uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps. Did four years, three combat tours, and then got out in 2008. A combat veteran is not an easy job. No, it wasn't when I was in. And not you, for the Vietnam vets, uh, not for Korea, World right. War One, World War Two. Those guys had it rough. And I, I did have it rough, but not as not as bad as those guys. Well, that's, that's true. And I think it's because society is, as a whole is becoming more aware of what we're asking yes. of our military personnel. You said you did three tours. It, that was uncommon. Back in then. Vietnam, you did one tour, two tours. That was it. But now we have guys doing three, five, six. six. seven. I've known a guy who did eight tours. Uh, we did the Democratic vote in 05 okay. in Iraq. We were a part of that. 2006, eh, not so much humanitarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2007, definitely humanitarian. We actually helped out Bangladesh in 07 when they had that micro-tornado. We gave them food and water and, and uh, helped them uh, recover bodies from the mess. I think that our foreign policy in particular is asking a lot of the men and women yes, sir. in this country. I agree. Andrew Farr, Marine Combat Veteran. I'm Stephen Reynolds, the man in the middle. This has been a salute to veterans on WGNS Radio. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration One MiddleTennessee.com. Locally and veteran. This is Jeff Graham with Tire World. I want to invite you to visit our new off-road department at our Memorial Boulevard location, featuring lift kits, leveling kits, light bars, as well as wheel and tire packages. Just come by and ask for Gator for all your off-road needs. That's Tire World on Memorial Boulevard. Old friends, new name, better together, as First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County, but we'll always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. News As you continue to leave uh, Rutherford County, headed up into Davidson County through Antioch, just busy out here in the normal spots. Just give yourself extra travel time. True Friends Moving Company is hiring. Call them right now at 615-240-2811. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. All right, 8.47 is the time right now. We had a slight audio glitch there. We apologize. We got that fixed, though. Again, the time, 8.48 on this Tuesday morning, today, the 8th of June. With us on air this morning from St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital, Dr. Frank Lowden, and he focuses on the lungs. So, uh, Dr. Lowden, as we continue to talk more about the lungs and the different lung issues that folks may have out there, what are some good ways we can, I guess, better take care of our lungs other than not smoking? Because that's the, I guess, the most obvious thing we can do. But what else can we do? 
Yeah, I don't want to harp on that too much, but if we could do one thing, or at least amongst my patients, if I could convince them to do one thing, it would be to stop smoking. Uh, But beyond that, there are other things you can do if you uh, live or work in a situation where you're repetitively exposed to strong fumes or harmful chemicals and you have a way of avoiding that, uh, obviously that is very important to do. Uh, Maintaining good nutrition, uh, maintaining an active lifestyle uh, to keep your body in shape, avoiding other people who smoke, all of those things are, are very important to maintaining good lung health. So when it comes to strong fumes, being around strong fumes of any kind, chemical odors, when, when you actually smell those odors, does that automatically mean you're inhaling whatever that odor is, or is it just a lingering smell? If you're inhaling it, uh, or excuse me, if you're smelling it, then you're inhaling it in, in some degree. Now, uh, some of that may remain in the nasal passages after you leave the area for a short period of time. But as a rule, if you can smell it, you're inhaling it. How good of a job does our body do at filtering stuff out? It does an amazing job, but it's not perfect. Uh, beginning with the nose, uh, the tiny little hairs in the nose, the mucus in the nose helps to filter out particulate matter in the air. Uh, going further down, the, the airways are lined with uh, tiny little micros- almost microscopic hairs called cilia, uh, and they grab on to, to own substances as they're inhaled, and they are very efficient at sweeping those up to where you can cough them out. But they're not perfect. Uh, a lot of things escape their detection, and they make it to the lower airways and into the little air sacs or alveoli, and they can cause damage, and they can get into the bloodstream, and they can cause damage. So to the extent that you can avoid those things or take some measures like wearing a respirator, if you look in that type of environment, you really need to do so. When you look at statistics here in Tennessee and the numbers of those who have lung problems, maybe it's lung cancer, COPD, what types of numbers are we actually looking at when you look at the entire population? Well, um, by far, uh, COPD and lung cancer are are major, not just in Tennessee, but nationwide, but in particular in the tobacco belt, uh, where smoking is much more common. We see uh, COPD and lung cancer at occurring at at much uh, earlier ages and uh, causing uh, more uh, morbidity and mortality, in other words, sickness and death. Uh, so I think I mentioned earlier, COPD across the across the nation is the fourth leading cause of death and has been for quite some time. Uh, lung cancer, and this is a really sobering uh, fact here, um, even though it doesn't get as much press, it kills more people than colon cancer, breast cancer, and prostate cancer combined. Uh, and if you think about that, that's that's quite amazing. Now, breast cancer is still uh, the cancer with the highest prevalence in women, uh, but lung cancer kills more women uh, than breast cancer does. Now, you hear a lot about prostate cancer, which is the, the number one cancer in incidence in men, uh, especially over the age of 50, uh, but lung cancer still kills more people than prostate cancer does. 
And I understand so, there's there's new guidelines in, in screening for these things. Yes, there are. Uh, that's something that's changed um, really just earlier this year. And the um, uh, lung and lung cancer has been um, kind of behind the curve compared to screening for colon uh, and breast cancer. Um, but there is a screening test available, and it's called low-dose CT scanning. Uh, that is that has emerged in the last few years as a, a very good way to detect cancers in people who are at risk. Um, and the guidelines have changed recently, um, and we can screen more people now and generally have it covered by insurance than, than we could just a few years ago. So um, in, in the past, you had to have a heavier uh, smoking history than you do uh, for the current guidelines, but the current guidelines uh, recommend screening for patients that are in the age range of 50 to 80 years old uh, with a 20-pack year smoking history, a pack year is defined as um, smoking on average pack a day for a year. Uh, so if you if you smoke on average a pack a day, uh, and you've been smoking for 20 years, that's a 20 pack year history. Uh, so it's recommended that we screen people who have at least a 20 pack year. Previously, it was a 30 pack year. So the recommendations have changed to allow more people to be screened. And then the third criteria is that you're either an active smoker or if you have quit, it has been within the last 15 years. So age 50 to 80, 20-pack year smoking history, uh, active smoker or quit within the last 15 years is the criteria that's currently out there for a screening CT scan. We, we offer that and we discuss that with our patients on a regular basis um, and offer it to them on a yearly basis uh, to try to detect a lung cancer early, treatable, and hopefully curable stage. Do you ever foresee these numbers going down, the numbers of those who do have lung cancer as time progresses? Because it, it seems like there's more public service announcements that are saying, you know, don't smoke, quit smoking. So do you foresee the numbers going down? That is going to be tied to smoking, and unless we see a big drop in smoking, um, it's probably not going to change a whole lot. Um, there are some numbers that are beginning to show a trend downward in male smokers, but so far none in the incidence of females who smoke. So if we could do one thing to decrease the incidence of COPD and lung cancer, it would be to stress to our young people to stop smoking or preferably to never start smoking. You know, it's interesting that you're seeing more cases with females than compared to males, because I would have thought it'd be just the opposite. Uh, in past years, it, it was. Uh, uh, smoking was predominantly, or excuse me, uh, uh, cancer-related deaths, lung cancer-related deaths, and COPD were much more common in men. But they are now uh, close to equal. Um, I can't say that I'm seeing uh, uh, more or rising number of women now, but they're about on par with the men. Um, that's been an, an unfortunate 
uh, change in recent years. So as we close this morning, what are some other things we should watch out for when it comes to the lungs? Because I know that there are lots of things that can happen to the lungs, but what are some other things to watch out for? Well, infections are, are something that we deal with a lot, and in our older population, uh, an issue is immunization. Um, immunization specifically against pneumococcal pneumonia. Uh, that's a type of bacteria that can cause uh, lung infections. Um, it's the most common among the bacterial causes of pneumonia. The pneumococcus is the most common germ. And there is a vaccine that we have available that, uh, although not perfect, it is effective in uh, preventing pneumonia in a large number of people or at least making the severity of it much less than it otherwise would be. Uh, there are two different vaccines out there and the indications. Um, I don't, we probably don't have enough time to, to go into the specifics of that, but if anyone is interested, they should definitely talk to their primary care provider or their lung specialist about getting those vaccines. If anybody who's been listening today wants to have an appointment with you to learn, you know, if they are up against a battle that maybe they're not very familiar with yet, how do they go about getting an appointment, or do they set that through their primary care physician first? It's generally best to start with the primary care physician, and the, the primary care doctor can refer, or the patient can request a referral to our practice, and we'd be glad to try to get those patients in. We have, we have an excellent primary care community in, in Murfreesboro, and they do a great job of this. Uh, and and uh, But if anyone needs the expertise of a pulmonologist, we would be happy to get those referrals from their primary care doctor. Again, with us this morning, Dr. Frank Loudon, St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital. Thank you so much for your time this morning, and uh, let's do this again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you. Time right now, 8.59. You're tuned to WGNS, your good neighbor station since 1947. Again today, Tuesday, June the 8th. We're going to post this podcast of this show on our website in just a little while. You can find it at WGNSRadio.com. Time again right now, 8.59. You're tuned to WGNS Murfreesboro.